Uh, a few years ago, I shared a Gallup research survey they did where they went and asked people, they said, you know, how much do you make? And then how much do you need to make to feel like you are rich? And so they asked this question to all those different groups of people. So people were saying, hey, here's what I make. Here's what I think I need to be rich. And, and so some of the numbers they came up with, you know, people that are making around $30,000, they're like, hey, how much do you need to make? They said, well, we feel like we need to make around $74,000 was the average that came back. Now, if you make $74,000, you're like, that ain't rich, right? I mean, I can tell you, you may think it's going to be rich, but that's not really what rich looks like. Then they asked another group of people, you know, they're making $50,000, how much do you need to make? And they were like, oh, we need to make $100,000. If we made $100,000, we would feel rich. If you make $100,000, you're like, man, it's still paycheck to paycheck. Things, things haven't really changed. What they really found through this survey is that whatever people were making, they felt like they needed to make double that amount to be able to say they felt rich. As you think about that survey and kind of the response they got, it reminds me that we're never satisfied, right? Like we're always in this constant pursuit of more, that we may be saying, hey, this is how much money I make. Here's what I need to make to feel like I'm rich. And then we get to that line, we get to that goal, and we're, we're there and we're like, you know what? This actually isn't enough. I need to make more. And so over the course of the next few moments, I'm going to talk about this idea, this pursuit of more. We're not talking about just money today. We're talking about things for ourselves. We're talking about maybe power, whatever it may be for us. That there are things in our life that we're chasing after. We're pursuing more for. And so we're going to talk about this in the context of chasing comfort. Because in the end, that's really what we're chasing. We're chasing things that we think will make us feel comfortable. And we get there and we find that there's more that we're looking for all the time. Today we're continuing our series called Chasing Carrots, and there's this big question that we're asking. It's the question that was up on the screen probably a little bit earlier. It says, what are you chasing? Because all of us are chasing something. Are we chasing things in our life that matter? Or are we chasing things in our life that don't? And so last week as we began this series, we talked about chasing success. This week we're talking about chasing comfort, this never-ending pursuit that we're on. But last week, as, as we started this series, we went to Ecclesiastes, and we were, we were looking at this guy named King Solomon. King Solomon was the ruler of, of Israel at the time, and he was known to be the super wise man. Again, if you were here last week, we talked about this. But he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes, and, and it's just full of wisdom. And, and in this wisdom, he just talks about his life and what he experienced and, and what was, he felt like was important, but then what was really important to him. If we kind of go back to what we looked at last week, we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we read verses 4 through 8, and I'm not going to read that this morning. We don't have time to do that. But if you go back and you see that, there are these things that the Solomon looks at in his life, and he says, these were important to me. These were the successes I was chasing after. But really what he's saying is, there's this comfort that I was looking for in my life. If we go back, we, we see some of those things. He talks about here in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 8, he says, he talks about huge homes and gardens and workers and irrigation systems and herds and money and entertainment and ladies he's like I had everything like I had everything that any person could ever desire in their life and so not only is he out here chasing success but he's also chasing comfort but we said last week that as we read through Ecclesiastes Solomon talks about all these things he's chasing after but at the same time in the end he keeps saying this, these same phrases over and over again and we we saw one of those in chapter 2 verse 11 when he said but as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, last week, Solomon's conclusion was that all this work, all this time, all this effort, all these successes, throwing in all this comfort, it was all meaningless. 
That, that in the end, what he would say was, I'm chasing after nothing. That, that, that this stuff I was grasping for was worth nothing. nothing. I, I couldn't grasp what I thought I was trying to, to grasp. I couldn't fill my soul. But he says at the very end of Ecclesiastes, he's like, I've gone through this whole life. I've tried to figure this all out, and here's the deal. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's what's important. Fear God, fear God, and follow God. Fear God and follow God. Solomon says that's worth everything. But yet, here's the deal. We hear those words from Solomon. We think about those words for Solomon. We keep chasing stuff. We keep chasing success. We keep chasing comfort. We are never, never satisfied. We always are in this pursuit of more. And so if we, we won't really listen to Solomon, what Solomon has to say. Maybe we'll listen to Jesus. And so this morning, I want to take some time, and we're going to look at an event that happens in Jesus' life, a powerful event that happens, that I believe helps us understand what it really truly means to follow Jesus, and, and what this looks like us, for us to, to kind of move away from chasing success, this pursuit of more, and, and in the end, really chasing the things in life that matter. Now, this event comes out of Luke chapter 4. It's where we're going to spend all of our time this morning. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Then Jesus... Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Let me give a little context here. Let me set up what's happening right now. Just before this, Jesus just has this incredible, amazing mountaintop experience with God. God's been kind of put it in Jesus's uh, spirit to, to start to move, right? To, to start to go into this ministry. It's time to begin to, to do the work that I sent you there to do. And the, the very first thing Jesus does is he's baptized. That's his, his first step. And so as Gary was talking about a little bit earlier, when we talk about baptism, I mean, one of the, the reasons we talk about baptism, one of the reasons we're going to watch seven people be baptized at the end of our second service is because of Jesus modeling it. Jesus modeled this, and so we see Jesus modeling this, and it's like, man, if Jesus is going to do this, and, and Jesus was perfect, then this is something I probably need to do in my own life. And so maybe you're there. Maybe you're an individual who's like, man, I've been thinking about this. I want to do this. Hey, come find me after our service. Here's the deal. We've got plenty of t-shirts. We've got plenty of shorts. We've got towels. There's no excuses today. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to see you take that step with uh, seven other people this morning. Just let us know. We'd love to talk to you about that. Because again, this is something that Jesus modeled. And so here's Jesus. He's modeling this. He, he's being baptized. And he has this incredible experience. God speaks to him right there. Uh, the, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And you would think at the end of that, like this is celebration time. Right? I mean, we're going to have a party. This is great. This is wonderful. I can't believe this just happened. I mean, here's this connection with, with God and my Father and all this kind of stuff. And here's what God does. God's like, hey, no party. I want you to go to the desert. <laughs> I, I'm sending you into the wilderness. And Jesus is there for 40 days. And now maybe he goes into this. Jesus goes into this thing. It's some spiritual retreat. Maybe it's going to be fun. Maybe I'm going to find my purpose while I'm out there. But as we read this, it seems like Jesus is alone. Like he's there by himself and he does this for 40 days. He's out in the wilderness and in this time he faces incredible temptation from the devil. Who we see in verse 3. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone. You're hungry, right? You've had a long day at work. 
maybe you've been traveling all over the place, you've had meetings all day, and um, kids' activities, and, and everybody gets in the car, and you, know, you don't want to go home and cook, you don't want to go to a nice restaurant and sit down and you know, spend a lot of time there, you just want fast food restaurants, right? And, and so you stop by your favorite fast food joint. Uh, maybe for you, you love Jesus chicken, and so you go to the Jesus chicken joint, or for someone else, you're, you've been looking for the beef, right? And this is the place that says, we have the beef. Now, you can't find the restaurants anywhere, but they have the beef, and if you can find it, you can find their beef. Or there's the other place that some of you like, it's where the FDA is looking into their broken ice cream machines, like finally, right? <laughs> I mean, those things have been breaking down for decades. It's about time somebody looked into that, but maybe that's the favorite fast food restaurant you have. But you stop there, and the reason you're there, you're trying to ease this hunger, because you're hungry. The people in the back of your car, they're hangry. I mean, everybody's angry. They're hungry. You, wanna, you want some happiness in your life. And so you want to you fill your tummy with some of this fast food stuff. Well, well you, you get there, and, and the line's long, and, and it's slow, okay? Even at the Jesus Chicken Place, it's still really slow there. And you're impatient because you're so hungry. And you look, and you're parked here in the car in front of you. There's like two two spots in front of them like they could pull up now the people in front of them aren't doing anything but you can't stand that there's this this break that's there so you're honking the horn and like go up and they're like it's okay I can't go anywhere nothing's happening but you're impatient because you want that food and then you finally get up to that that window and you're paying at that first window there and and you have to wait because the person's not there and you see them come it looks like they're five miles away and they walk really slowly and they come up and they take your card and they're talking to somebody else and they take your card and they they do all they need to do and they hand it back and you you take it with a huff and a puff like thank you and and, and you're excited because nobody's sitting in front of you anymore you you get to get to the food window and grab that that golden window you get to go there and get your glorious food and you grab your card and your receipt and you you speed up to the to the very next window and you get to the next window and you sit there and the person comes and they say hey can you pull in the slot number two up there because your food's not ready yet (laughs) we get upset don't we we get angry why there's this thing called instant gratification right and that's why fast foods are supposed to exist for instant gratification that we can get our food when we want our food when we need our food and if we have to wait more than like five minutes we're, we're angry because that's way too long for us But I want you to think about that and think about what happens here with with Jesus. How often do we try to gratify our wants and our desires instantly? I'm not talking about our needs. I'm talking about the stuff we want. The stuff that we say, hey, I want this now. I can't wait. I can't hold off on this. And and we really never think about the ramifications of this, this thing called instant gratification that we're always after. What do we do? We always jump right in. Here's Jesus. He's hungry. He's fasted for 40 days. And if you fasted before, for a part of a day, a whole day, a couple of days, it's it's hard. It's really tough to do. And and so I can imagine what what he's going through here. I mean, physically, if this were me, I'd be worn out. I'd be wiped. And of course, I'd be hungry mentally. Man, mentally, I'd be struggling. And spiritually, I'd be honest with you, I'd probably be dead. But Jesus isn't. Here's Jesus, and he's still strong. And here's his response. And, I mean, that little thing here, but he's like, you know, yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that, that stone there, I'd love to turn that into bread. I'd, I'd love to eat some bread right now. But here's the deal. That's not the food I need. The food I need only comes from following God. See, in the end, God's the only thing that will take care of this hunger that I truly have. And it's not about chasing comfort. 
Again, it's about chasing after God. When you and I, when we're chasing comfort, it means we're hungry for something. We're hungry for more. We're hungry for more stuff. We're hungry for more of our wants. We're hungry for more of our desires. And you know this. We'll do anything we can to satisfy that hunger. And yet here's Jesus who says this life is about way more than satisfying your hunger pains you have. This, this world and this life is about relying on God to feed our souls. And so this temptation comes to Jesus and he handles it great. Because I, again, I think for us that would have been a really hard one. But, but the devil doesn't finish. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So the devil takes Jesus up to this mountaintop and he shows him all that his eyes could see. And he promises all of this to Jesus. And the devil just asks for one thing. He just says, here's the only thing I need you to do. I just need you to worship me. Just, just this one time, make me a priority. If you worship me, then all this stuff I've shown you, all this stuff is yours. If you really think about our lives, we worship a lot of things in our lives. Now, maybe we don't know what those things are, but I'm hoping today that we can kind of pinpoint what those are for each one of us. But there are things in our life that we, we worship. I mean, it's where we spend all of our time and all of our effort and all of our money. And we talk about it all the time. That's, those are the things that, that we end up worshiping. For instance... Uh, fall is here, right? I mean, I know we're still in summer, but fall's basically here. School's back in session. And I know fall is here because football season has begun, right? And, uh, and so I love football. Um, I, I like pro football. It's fun. But I really like college football. Uh, there's something about the atmosphere and the dynamics and the excitement, uh, something about the rawness of those players that are out on the field. They're not, they're not polished like we see in the pros. And so I enjoy that part of, of college football. In fact, there's moments that you have, if you're a college football fan, that just kind of like, man, gives you, gives you the chills. Um, I know some of you went to Virginia Tech. Some of you have kids at Virginia Tech. Maybe you have kids that want to go to Virginia Tech, whatever it may be. Maybe you're just a, a Hokey fan. But, uh, but they have one of the most incredible entrances for their football team before a game begins, right? If you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the stadium is packed, and, and then it's, it gets kind of quiet, and they start playing Metallica's Inner Sandman, and it is blasting through the sound system. And the place goes wild, and people are jumping up and down and screaming and yelling. And I've experienced it one time, and it is exhilarating. And it's also really scary because you're just waiting for the whole stadium just to <laughs> collapse because literally the stadium's moving, but it's just this amazing experience. Uh, I know we have some people that are from the upper Midwest and the Wisconsin area, and the University of Wisconsin, and between the third and fourth quarters of the games, they have House of Pains jump around that, that blast through the stadium. And again, people are jumping up and down. I'm sure the stadium's moving. And there's like this excitement that's there when you see that happen. Now, I went to Wake Forest University and uh, for our football team, and yeah, we had a football team. We, um, it was a little different, right? I mean, they, the crowd, the, the, the team's getting ready to come out and, and it's loud and, and they start playing music and the music they play is Amazing Grace. It's a little softer. A little bit more. Now, they really don't do that, thankfully. Uh, the mascot comes in on a Harley, and I don't even know what music they play. But anyway, every school thinks about this, right? Because they're trying to get everybody hyped. But here's the deal. As I, as I watch you know, football games, as I watch ESPN game day, as I listen to people talk, as I, I watch things on social media, and, and especially if you're in the southeastern part of the United States or from there, you know this. 
like football is religion, right? Like that's all people talk about. Even when football season's over with, that's all they're focused on. And it, and it comes to me, it's like, whoa, hold up a second. Football is a religion, and it's exactly what people are worshiping. Because that's what everybody's so focused on. That's all anybody ever talks about. And that's where all the time and resources and effort is going into this, this one thing. Now, maybe your thing's not football. Maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's something else. But all of us worship something. There's something that's important to us that takes our time, that takes our effort, that some ways takes our money. We, we worship it. We follow it. We live for it. And, and here's the devil who's trying to play on this aspect of, of who Jesus is. The devil says, hey, Jesus, if you worship me, right, if you, if you kneel down to me, I will give you all of this. And he, he's really hitting on this vulnerability that I think that all of us have. Like this desire for more. That, that we can have more. That we don't have to be satisfied with, with where we are, with what we have. We always can, can continue to pursue more in our life. That we're looking for comfort and, and we hit that part of where we think we're comfortable, but we, again, we always want more. Well, well, Jesus says here, he says, well, yeah, I could take more. You could give me more. I could rule all of this, but that's not how Jesus answered, is it? Jesus doesn't say, give me more. Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take less. And in fact, here's how this is going to play out. I'm going to be a servant. In the book of Matthew Chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom to many. Here's Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, to be put into power, to worship the devil, to have comfort. Jesus doesn't say that. He said, I came to serve others. In fact, I'm going to show you the best way you can serve because I'm going to give my life for all humanity. But when we choose comfort, when we choose these things that we worship in our life, Here's what we're really doing. We're making it about ourselves. What we're really saying is, is that this is what I worship and this is what's most important to me. And so often we choose to stay focused on these things that we're worshiping and not to serve others around us. It's all about serving ourselves. You know, again, yesterday was the 20th anniversary. It sounds like a terrible phrase to use there, but um, of the tragedy that took place on 9-11. And uh, I mean, I read so many posts yesterday, people just saying, hey, I can remember everything that was happening that day when, when that took place. And if you were alive then, you can remember back that far. I'm sure every single one of us remembers everything that took place on that day. But I want us to think about the day after that and the days after that and the weeks after that and the months after that. And if you remember this, there was a sense of community in specifically the United States that I, don't, I know I've never felt in my entire life. Like people weren't worried about your race or religion, all that kind of stuff. They didn't care where you're from, how much money you had. It was like, what can we do to help you out? Like we were serving each other in crazy ways that we have never done before. And I'm not sure we've even done since. Because for once, it wasn't about worshiping our stuff. We, we weren't focused on our comfort. We were like, how do we help people through this tough time and through this pain and through this hurt and these struggles that are there? How do we serve other people in a time like this? Our family lived in New Jersey at the time. We were about 50 miles outside of New York City. And we had quite a few people at our church that actually worked in downtown New York City and worked there at the Twin Towers and those surrounding buildings. And I spent my day, this was before cell phones, right? And so... 
I'm at the church there working and I'm calling as many people I can to make sure our people are fine. Thankfully, everybody was, was okay, but they told some harrowing stories of what they experienced that particular day. But, uh, but our church was, again, not too far away. We're like, how can we help? And the Salvation Army was doing this hospitality tent half a block away from the Twin Towers. And so we, we were able to go up there. So a couple of days, I was able to go up there and serve. And you would have these workers that were coming in. They were doing all this work there at Twin Towers. And they were, and they were and to that location, they were coming into this tent. And they were just, you could just see, like, they're worn out. They're tired. Their emotion is just kind of drained from them. And, and we were giving them food. And we were giving them drinks. And we were making sure they could rest and, and kind of catch their breath a little bit before they had to go back out and, and do this work again. I mean, I, I remember that day not, not thinking to myself, oh, this is just something I'm, I'm going to do. I'm just doing this to, to make myself feel better. I, I can remember those days saying, I get to do this. I get to serve this group of people who are serving so many others and to be there for them. See, too many times we're focused on the things that we want to worship, right? That becomes the most important thing to us. That's all that we live for. And, and yet here's Jesus like, it's not about... It's not about worshiping your stuff. It's not wor about worshiping these things that you want, you desire. It's about worshiping God. And, and more importantly, how do we do that? We do that by actually serving. We serve other people. That this isn't about what we, we, we get. This really is about what we give. And so Jesus could have had it all, but he reminded the devil it wasn't about getting. He reminded the devil it was all about giving. And so again, this temptation comes. Jesus is able to walk through it. But then the devil's still not done. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. So the devil takes Jesus to the highest point on the Temple Mount. Um, based on what we know about the temple, it's probably the southeastern corner of the Temple Mount. This uh, place was about 450 feet tall uh, from this, this corner down to the valley below, about 40 stories tall. And so the, the devil comes to Jesus and like, hey, jump off of here. Like, like God's got you. God, God's going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Just, just jump off. Everything's going to be good. And so as we, we look at this here, we, we see that the, the devil is testing God, right? He's trying to make sure, you know, God, will you protect your son if he decides he's going to jump off of this space? But, but here's Jesus who says, don't test God in this way. Jesus is like, this is not how this works. Now, this is kind of the part of the story I struggle with a little bit because why would the devil ask Jesus to jump off the spot? Well, again, we just kind of said that. He said this, so to test God but but there had to be something else here right there had to be this reason because this seems to be more about God than about Jesus at this moment and and I really think as I, I read through this a few times I think what the devil is trying to do is really bring doubt into Jesus mind because think of what's just happened here 40 days earlier Jesus has this incredible mountaintop experience he's He's baptized, and, and God speaks to him, and there's this spirit that comes upon Jesus, and it's just this incredible moment where 40 days later, Jesus is alone in the wilderness, and he's being tempted this whole time. And I wonder if the devil's trying to get at this thing of like, hey, Jesus, does God really care about you? Hey, hey Jesus, is God really going to take care of you? Is God going to give you what you need? 
hey, Jesus, is God just going to kind of leave you on your own? Because you've kind of seems like you've been trying to figure this out for the last 40 days. What's going on in your life? Maybe God doesn't care. And I feel like there's this, this little bit of doubt that, that the devil is trying to give Jesus. I think one of the reasons that you and I, that we chase after comfort is because we are chasing after doubts. We have doubts in our life, doubts about who we are, doubts about ourselves and, and the things that, that we have in our life. Questions arise like, am I good enough? Am I rich enough? Do I have enough? Do I need more? We're, we're, again, we're, we're never satisfied. And so what do we try to do? Well, we try to fill this hole that's deep down in our soul, and that's really what's there. There's this hole that we have, and we're trying to fill it with stuff. We're trying to fill it with the comforts of life, and we feel like, if I can fill it up with all these comfortable things, with money and finances and stuff and a home and you know, relationships and career, whatever it may be, if I fill it with all this stuff, then, then I'm going to be fine, and, and in the end, I can take care of myself. Here's Jesus saying, no, this isn't how this works again. This isn't about you trying to fill your holes in your soul. This is about you relying on God to take care of that for you. That those doubts that you have in your mind, that they're not from, from God, that these doubts that you have are, are really you trying to figure out life on your own. You can't do life on your own. You can't fill those holes alone. If you try to do that, it's not going to bring you happiness. You're not going to have any joy. There's not going to be fulfillment. There's not going to be comfort. There's always going to be this moving target. And you'll never be satisfied. Because all you're going to do is continue to pursue more and more. And when we get there, we start worshiping things that don't matter. We start focusing on getting instead of giving. And we lose, fo excuse me, we lose focus on fully following Jesus. Because we have those doubts. And those doubts that are there, they're really about God. We're doubting that God can take care of us. We're, we're doubting that God can give us what we, we need. And so we go through life chasing after comfort and maybe for jesus here's jesus saying hey guess what devil i don't have any doubts about god so there's no reason for me to test god what i'm going to do is i'm actually going to trust god i'm going to follow god's leading in my life and when i do that i'm going to have all i need and i'm going to have it when i need it i look at this story these events in jesus life and this temptation and these requests that are there of the devil and you know there's a question for us to ask is what do we do with that how does this help us when it comes to that pursuit of more how does this help us when we're talking about chasing after comfort and kind of like last week i th think there's some questions you and i have to answer and so i have three questions that i think are pertinent for us to answer when it comes to chasing after comfort here's the first one are you chasing the bread in life or are you chasing the bread of life probably the most pastoral phrase I've ever used on a Sunday morning in a message, all right? But it fits really, really well with this because it's so spot on. What if we spent less time chasing comfort? What, what if our life was less about chasing stuff and money and jobs and relationships, that it, that it wasn't about the pursuit of more, but it was about the pursuit of Jesus? What if we spent less time looking for instant gratification and these moving targets and spent more time chasing after Jesus, letting God provide for us for the needs that we have. Do you know what that would do? It would change our lives. It would change the way that we view ourselves. It would change the way that we view our world. It would change the way that we view our stuff. It would change the way that we view our jobs and our relationships, our finances. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we chase the bread of life? Well, it's hard and simple. 
It really is spending those moments each day with God. Whether that's praying for a little bit, reading scripture, journaling, whether you can do that for a couple of seconds just to begin that process, or maybe you're someone who does it for 30 minutes, an hour a day, whatever it may be, it's, it's really beginning to let God transform us through what we see here in scripture. It's spending that time with God. It's spending time here on Sunday mornings together, online or in person. It's, it's being a part of this community. It's, it's about joining groups. It's about being in a group where you can, you can talk to other people like, man, I'm chasing some comforts. And they're like, yeah, me too. Let's work on this together because we know that's not the life we should live. What, what would that look like if we have those conversations? In, in the end, are we chasing the bread in life or are we chasing the bread of life? Because those are two very different things. And it's a question we have to answer. Question number two is this, are you worshiping the pursuit of comfort or are you serving others? It's so easy to get caught up in, in pursuing things that are comfortable, worshiping things that do not matter, uh, things that are in our life that become a priority. Again, that we spend our time and effort and resources on, on these, these, these one or two things in our life. And again, in our mind, we may not think we're worshiping. If we really step back, we, we truly are. That we're worshiping stuff instead of making sure that we are serving others. Who are you putting first in your life? What's most important to you? In the end, are you worshiping comfort over serving others? Are you and I, are we all about getting more, or are we all about giving more? And really, what kind of life do we want to live? Do we want to live this life where we're trying to get more and pursue more? Are we trying to live this life where we're giving more, we're serving those around us? Again, a huge question we have to ask when we're chasing comfort. Are you worshiping the pursuit of comfort or are you serving others? And then the last question, and I think this is so powerful and so important, are you testing God or are you trusting God? Now, I believe some doubt is good, okay? I, I really do. And in fact, if you have doubts about God and about Jesus and about Scripture, man, the Journey Church is a very safe place for you to be and to ask those questions. We want you to ask those questions. Don't let those doubts build up. Don't hold on to those doubts. Ask those questions. Seek out answers. But too often we want to test God in that, right? We're like, I don't know if I believe in God. I'm going to test God here. It's not about testing God. It's about trusting God. And if we want to get away from chasing comfort, then we stop testing God in our life. We just start trusting God to, to take us through those tough times. We, we trust God when it comes to those moments when our life is hard, when those questions linger. That, that we, we began to trust God and say, hey, God, I'm putting all this on you. I'm trusting you in this. Lead me where I need to go. Because, again, we have these holes that are deep down inside of us, these doubts that are there. And so are we testing God in those moments? Are we trusting God? Because here's the deal. Those temptations, they never go away. In fact, if we look at verse 13 there in Luke 4, it says, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Never ends. Those arrows are continually to be shot at us. And we try to make it through it so often by testing God, by saying, hey, I'm going to maybe take care of this myself because, God, I don't fully trust you. But that just means we're chasing comfort. And I'll just be honest with you, here's the deal. When you're chasing comfort, it doesn't keep your kids off of drugs. It doesn't take away the depression. It doesn't cure cancer. Chasing comfort won't save your marriage. It won't end the bitterness that you have towards your parents. It won't save your career. 
Chasing comfort is all about things that are temporary. These are things in our life that come and go. These are things that you might like now and wear now. Two years from now, they're in the goodwill bin. Or two years from now, you're trying to sell them on Facebook Marketplace. Why? Because you're just chasing comfort. It's the pursuit of more. But that's not why we are here. See, if we chase comfort, it's about my desires being more important than my need for God. It's about taking care of me, which is more important than, than serving others. It's about testing God more than trusting God. And we're not called to chase comfort. You know what we're called to do? We're called to chase the eternal. We're called to chase after Jesus. Jesus didn't chase comfort. Jesus chased after the eternal. And in this moment where I'm sure he was weak and struggling, this temptation is there. Jesus is still able to say, hey, you know what, devil? I see what you're trying to do, but I'm not here to chase comfort. I'm not here to chase these things in, in life. I'm here to chase after the eternal. I, I'm here to give hope, hope to humanity because of the love my Father has for all people. What are you chasing? Are you chasing comfort or are you chasing the eternal?